Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 again. First Corinthians chapter 10, and this time um, we'll pick up in verse 23. And I'm reading here from the, uh, the New King James. First Corinthians 10:23. Why <clears throat> don't you uh, stand if you would for the reading, and then for the reading of God's word, and then you can. Sit back down. Verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Amen. Be seated. And let's pray. Father, we do ask You for Your blessing on the reading and hearing of Your Word, and now on the proclamation of it. Again, open our ears to hear, we pray. Use it to change us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the uh, biggest philosophic questions of all history (laughs) has to do with purpose. do, Do we have a purpose, and this this question has has uh, well, it's it's. I started to say it, you know, it's kind of surfaced um, again and again and again throughout history, but it's never really, never really gone below the surface. I don't think um, this is an, uh, a question as old as as uh, I guess as you could say as old as sin, right? Because before that, it wouldn't wouldn't have uh, there wouldn't have been any question about it. But at least goes back to uh, to the result of a, of the fall. What is our purpose? Well, there's kind of a twofold purpose that we've talked about quite a bit that Paul 
hones in on here. But primarily, um, the ultimate end is that we glorify God. There's a, uh, uh, well, it actually starts, I think, multiple catechisms, but the old Westminster uh, Catechism starts out, uh, the very first question, uh, anybody, anybody know what it, what it is? Besides Leslie, I think Leslie knows. Maybe Jordan, you know what the first question of the Westminster? Oh, okay, well, we've been falling down on the job there. I bet you'd know it if I start to give you a hint, but go ahead. There you go. There you go. What is the chief end of man or chief duty of man? And that, that is an all-important question, which, of course, the Bible addresses from page 1 all the way to the end. What is the chief end of man? End in, in, in terms of, of goal. You know, you think of ultimate end, ultimate goal, or, as I said a moment ago, purpose. The question of, of purpose comes in. Why are we... Here. What, what is this about? What are we doing here? And it never ceases to, uh, to, to fascinate me. And I, I don't you know, mean this in any kind of arrogant way or anything. I'm not making fun. But, but when you hear um, atheists and evolutionists try to answer that question, you know, thinking that they're doing it. I mean, they, they start to describe, well, I mean, because I've, I've heard some ask point blank. You know, if, if evolution's true, if there's no God and so forth, there is no purpose. And, and they'll come back with some kind of mumbo-jumbo. Well, I think we do have purpose because this or that, you know. Uh, we do have purpose because we're, you know, just, we're just trying to be the best humans we can be and, uh, you know, accomplish greater good for the earth or whatever. N- none of that means anything. And however lofty it might sound... Uh, just taken by itself, if you, if you think about it all the way through, uh, none of it means anything if there's not a God who loves us and created us for His purpose. Now, the question again was, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Great answer. Great question and a great answer. Now, this was penned by the old uh, the Westminster divines um, in the uh, 17th century, part of the larger catechism. Like I say, it's been, it's been used in other catechisms many times. But what, what is the chief end of man? That is, what is the ultimate end or goal or duty, as Dickie said. That's a good way to think of it as well. What is the ultimate duty? What is our main reason for being? Why? I mean, I know it doesn't sound proper, but it makes sense in one way. Why do we be? <laughs> I mean, it helps me sometimes to phrase things that way. You know, I, you know, maybe I'm a little warped, but why do we be? Because we are. We are. And there's a reason that we are. Well, the chief end of man, the ultimate purpose, goal, duty of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, John Piper puts a little twist on that. Now, I mean, he just changes one word. It doesn't really change the meaning. He, he just does it for explanation. And he changes one of the, the conjunctions there, and to by. 
The, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Instead of glorify God and enjoy Him forever, it's to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Now, as Piper explains, if you've ever read any his writing on that or heard him speak about it, the reason he, he does that, again, is to expound on what the Westminster divines were saying. In other words, when he reads the, the answer, he doesn't see two answers. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It almost sounds like two answers, doesn't it? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But the question is singular. What is the chief end of man? And the same man that wrote that question wrote the answer. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so that's, they had in mind that as being one thing. Glorifying God and enjoying Him as being one thing. And that's why Piper changes the end to by. Glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And by the way, uh, if, you, if, if, uh, uh, there's more that could be said about why he does that, and, and so and to answer that, or you know, to to know more about that, I, I recommend reading Piper's book, Desiring God. Um, that's what the whole book's about, <laughs> and and it's excellent. Um, so there's there's the answer. Our our purpose for being, the reason why we be, is to glorify God. All right, is to glorify God and. Uh, as Piper points out, and the Westminster Divines, we do that by enjoying Him. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, the twofold purpose that I was referring to earlier, uh, that's, that's half of it. Um, that's, that's, well, and that's the, that's the ultimate. <clears throat> the other part is, is connected to it. They're not separate, distinct, but not separate. Um, and and accomplishes. It's kind of like enjoying God glorifies Him. This other part uh, accomplishes that as well, glorifying God. And that is, we are we are here for the purpose of edifying one another, building up one another. We are here. In other words, we're here, like we we've, we've said many many times, we're here for the spiritual welfare of our fellow. Human beings. So, number one, you know, primary, it's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And number two, it's the well-being of fellow man. That's our purpose for being. Now, now those two things, which again, they are distinct, but they're not separate. They go together. Those two things is what Paul is dealing with here uh, as he as he continues his answer to the Corinthians regarding. Of their practice of eating meat offered to idols and attending the the, the sacrificial uh, the pagan sacrificial feasts and so forth. So, for example, um, if you look again at verse twenty three, Paul Paul says he goes back to a, a saying we dealt with earlier, saying which I think this is a quote uh, of the Corinthians. You know, this would be like a motto for them: "All things are lawful for me." And we saw that uh, we saw that earlier. Paul would would uh, state it, state their their motto, and then answer it. All things are lawful for me. Now he does it again here. All things are lawful for me, but 
Paul points out, not all things are helpful. And then he does it again. All things are lawful for me. But, Paul answers back, but not all things edify or build up. So, not, not all things are helpful and not all things edify. Not all things are helpful in what sense? Well, not, they, they don't, not all things help me. For one thing, that's just part of it. Not all, in other words, in my walk with Christ, I may have and do have, we do have as Christians, great um, liberty, but not all things are helpful in terms of my sanctification. Not all things are helpful in, in terms of, of, of me, uh, regarding me growing in grace and in the knowledge of God. Not all things are helpful as, as, if, if you think of it in terms of helping me become Christ-like. Not all things are helpful um, concerning me being a, a witness, for example. Now, now this, is, this is the correct question. If you turn this around and make it a question, what is helpful? This is the correct question. Or what edifies? Either one of those. That's the correct question. Or, we could, we could take it back again to the ultimate end, what glorifies God? Those are the correct questions. Now, this morning I mentioned a question that's not so good, and that is, can I do this and still be a Christian? That's, that's a common question. It's not a good question. Can a Christian do this? Can, can a person be saved and still do this? You know, whatever this is. Can a person, can a person be saved and still X? Can a, can a person, um, can I, can I know Christ and still, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Can I be a Christian and still go to movies? Can I be a Christian and still, you know, eat chocolate or something? Can I, can I, what, what's something we, somebody was talking about dress this morning. So you could ask, can I be a Christian and, and wear pants to church instead of, you know, a woman wear pants to church instead of a dress? We, we come up with all these kinds of things. And, and by the way, sometimes the answer is yes, but that's still the wrong approach. Because a lot of times the things that uh, people ask that about are trivial. You know, and the answer and they, they should sometimes. I mean, they should be non-issues. Other times, you know, it gets asked about things that <laughs> just ought to know. I mean, think about what Paul's dealing with here in this letter. Things like incest and visiting temple prostitutes, and you know. So it's the can I be a Christian and still do this? Wrong question. A better question would be, and this is what Paul is pointing out. A better question would be, is it helpful? Does it, does it help me in my um, sanctification experience? Is it helpful to other people? In other words, if I do this, is it going to help other people or is it going to damage them in some way? Is it helpful? Does it edify? See, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Paul is saying this is what the Christian is to be concerned with. So he's, he's got this twofold purpose in view. 
the glory of God, that is, we want to glorify God in everything we do, and the spiritual welfare of other people. So again, for example, in verse 23, he's pointing out, you know, we want to be helpful, we want to edify when it comes to uh, other people. So he makes that clear in verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each other's well-being. And then he, he closes out this argument in verse 33 by saying, do just as I do, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. And then verses 25 through 32 are sandwiched in between that. And, that, and he's expounding on that idea. You, you live for the spiritual well-being of other people. So the question is not, can I be a Christian and still do this? The question is, if I do this, will it be helpful? If I gossip about sister so-and-so, is that going to help her? Is that going to help the person that I'm gossiping to? Is that going to edify them? Is it going to help me? Is my, am, I going to, am I going to progress in my sanctification because of my gossip? Am I going to be edified? Well, obviously the answer is going to be no. But that's the right question, though. Is this going to help? Is this going to edify? That's what Paul wants us asking. And the reason, again, is in verse 24. Because he wants us seeking the well-being of others. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So he wants us concerned about the spiritual growth of those around us. Or, if you're, you know, you think in, in, uh, in regard to lost people, we want them to get started on the road. Either way, you know, the concern is for the well-being of the other person. We want to see lost people saved, and then we'll be concerned about them growing. And we want to see Christians grow. But either way, the concern is for that person's well-being, whether it's a lost person or, uh, you know, another person in the Lord. Maybe somebody weak in faith, even somebody strong in faith that we just we just want to uh, we I mean, we want to help everybody in their sanctification. We want to do things that edify everybody. Now he gets back to the subject at hand here. I mean, this is what specifically he's applying it to. The eating of meat offered to idols. They are, they are taking this liberty at the expense of other Christians who are weaker, uh, in their, um, in their faith. So they're doing much damage. They're not, they're not helping. They're not helping. They're not helping by, um, permitting incest in the church. They're not helping by uh, all the, the divisions that are going on in the church and the personality-driven <coughs> divisions. You know, they, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Jesus, I'm of Peter. What Paul is saying, these, these things aren't helpful. And they're not helpful when they participate in pagan sacrificial feasts. They're damaging people. So Paul says, verse 25, 
Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. Conscience sake. Now, he's just given some, some, uh, some practical instructions here uh, on, on how to operate without defiling the conscience and without hurting someone else and uh, on the positive side to, to glorify God in the end. So, he says... Whatever is sold in the meat market, ask, uh, eat it, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Now, this is, this is kind of interesting because we, we make... Uh, boy, this is a dangerous thing to say. But sometimes we want to make things more black and white than they are. I'm a pretty black and white person. Um, so that's generally the road I like to stay on. <laughs> you know, it's, it feels safer a lot of times. And I, th- I think that's why we, we, we even do that where there's gray areas a lot of times because we, we, we think we want to play it safe. I mean, it's easy to come up with um, do's and don'ts. It's not so easy to exercise discernment, wisdom, love. Not so easy to engage in that. So sometimes we, we make things more complicated than they are. And we just, you know, we, we, we would just, we have certain things in our society that we just say are off limits. If you're a Christian, they're taboo. And it's easier to do that. It's easier to just make a list and say, if you're going to be a Christian, don't do this. And it's interesting that that's not what Paul does here. He gives some qualifiers. I mean, he, what I'm saying is he could just say, look, here's what you do. It, it, is, it is bad to eat meat offered to idols, and you don't want to ever... We're not supposed to give the, even the appearance of evil, right? So you don't want to ever mess up and do that. So here's what you do. When you go shopping, or when you sit down at a table with somebody, you make sure you ask them, is this meat, has this meat been offered to idols? I've, I've got to know this right up front because I don't want to defile myself. That, sound, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That sounds pretty good. And that, would just, that way we would just make sure we were kosher, so to speak. <laughs> and stay, stay clean. It makes it easy. But that's not what he does, because that's not really the issue. The thing doesn't defile you. And even though it gets complicated sometimes, I tell you, I'm, I'm glad that Paul is straight up about that. I'm glad that the Holy Spirit gives us the truth in these matters. Jesus. Jesus says very clearly, it's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a man. It's what comes out of it. Because what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and the heart is corrupt. So, Paul says, here's what you do. Don't even ask. Now, it's just the opposite of what you would think, right? I mean, if we're going to, let's, it's just easier to be legalistic and say, make sure you ask. Make sure you ask, because um, you know. I, I remember we were out at the the. I, I don't I don't do. Uh, I mean, I've tried. I tried a couple times to do these uh, um, 
what what do you call it when you when you when you won't go somewhere or won't buy something? Um, the term slips my mind, huh? Boycott. I've tried that a couple times. Maybe it was just the Lord teaching me something. But you know, like years ago, uh, AT and T had this thing uh, where they were. I, I mean, this was twenty twenty years ago, I guess, when I heard about this, where they were sending all of their employees through a uh, sensitivity training for homosexuality. And, 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 you know, they had a really positive um, uh, stance, uh, you know, pro-homosexuality um, policy. And I asked a friend of mine about it who was employed with them at the time, and, you know, it's true. And so uh, I dropped them, you know. We, we, we dropped their, their they, had, we had, they were doing the home phone thing at the time, so we, we, uh, the long-distance service on home phone, so we switched that. And, you know, I wouldn't sign up. For the, their sale service, we, we got with some, I don't, I don't remember who it was. It was I think it was um, Cellular One or something. I don't know. It was some deal at the time that wasn't very good and all that. Didn't have good coverage. But, you know, I was trying to, trying to be, avoid supporting them. Well, um, then, it was two, I can't remember the two, but it, I know one of them was the sale company. But there was two different companies like that that, they bought out while we while we were we were with them, <laughs> and so after the second one, I'm like, well, okay, whatever, you know, I give up. Uh, you know, you can't. And I was at the fair one year and saw, you know, I was looking at this little uh, display. Uh, there was a big old tent out there of, uh, I think it was uh, Philip Morris. Uh, pretty sure it was Philip Morris Company. You know, the 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 huge. It was, it was one of the tobacco conglomerates, so I think it was Philip Morris. Big, huge tent out there, and you can see it right there on the when you're walking down the midway. And so they had all these displays of their stuff, and there, right in the middle of all of it, was Oreo cookies. <laughs> and I mean, you know, you look at that and say, "Say it ain't so," you know. They they own Nabisco. Oh my goodness, you know. And uh, so I mean, I, I gave up on boycotts. I mean, you, you know, you can't. You can't get get away from you can't get away from supporting them to some degree, but that's that's not even the deal. It's what what Paul is saying. What what if the meat is offered to idols? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In reality, what Paul's not concerned with that. That meat's not going to defile them when it goes in them. What he's concerned about is conscience. Perceived wrong. So he says, look, just eat it. Don't ask any questions. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. How can you justify that, Paul? Psalm 24.1. Because the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. <laughs> it all belongs to God anyway. It's, it's all His. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. So he says, verse 27, If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner, and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. So it's the same principle. If you're shopping in the marketplace, don't, don't ask if it's meat that, you know, was left over from a sacrifice, meat offered to idol. Just, just eat it. If you're if you go to dinner 
Uh, you get invited to a dinner by an unbeliever. Just eat what they put on the table. Don't even ask. And you know, this had to be common. I mean, in this, in this culture, uh, in Corinthian was, uh, Corinth, rather, was a, was a pagan city. Um, so this was a common thing. And so it wouldn't be unusual to, to get asked uh, to a meal and, and that, you know, they're actually using meat that had been used in sacrifice to idols. So Paul says, don't ask. Like I say, again, it's just the opposite of what you might, you would think. You would think, the, well, the Christian, you want to stay clean, so before you sit down to eat, make sure that it's okay. No, he says, don't ask for conscience sake. Don't ask. Because, again, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But, verse 28, if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols. Now, somebody sitting at the table or in the marketplace has just made it known. They've told you. Probably told you to see <laughs> what your response would be. So Paul says if somebody, if they tell you this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you. And for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Now, this is what Paul was talking about back in chapter 8 with those who have the weaker conscience. Some eat meat offered to idols as a thing offered to an idol. I mean, they still understand it to be um, part of a sacrifice, thinking that they are commending themselves to God. That is, they are gaining favor with God. And so Paul says, if you participate with them, what you're doing is making them think that it's okay. It's like you're putting your stamp of approval on it. And you cause them to stumble. You know, they are weaker in faith. They lack understanding. And rather than helping them, building them up, edifying them, you're unfortunately helping destroy them. So, he says here, again, don't do it. For conscience sake. For the conscience of the one who asked. For the conscience of the other. You, you may know, you may understand, you may know that there's nothing wrong with it, but you don't do it for the sake of the other. Verse 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, all, all through here, he's been talking about um, op, operating in love. You know, when you, in, in these things, when you eat the meat or not eat the meat, the, the idea is is to do what you do out of love for the well-being of the other person. We don't want to do anything that causes somebody else to stumble. But now, the way he sums it up in verse thirty-one, he says, uh, "We're going to do everything for the glory of God." That's why I was saying earlier, 
the, the two in one sense are the same. I mean, they are distinct for the glory of God, for the well-being of others, but they're not separate. They, they go together. So, in other words, just to paraphrase, I think what Paul is saying is this. If we live for the well-being of other people, we will be glorifying God in the process. And that's the ultimate goal. Now, you see this in the cross. The ultimate goal of Jesus was what? To glorify the Father. That was, that was His ultimate goal. To glorify the Father. Now, how does He do that? By laying down His life for others. By dying, suffering and dying, so that others might live. That's the ultimate act of edification. You know, edifying somebody else, building somebody else up. And of self-denial. His, his ultimate goal is to glorify God, so He does that by loving others. So much so that He would take our sin upon Him, suffer in our place, die as a condemned sinner, bear the wrath of God for us. So the two are not separate. So Paul says, whether you eat or drink, and that's, that's specifically what he's been dealing with here, eating meat offered to idols. Whether you eat or drink, but then he expands it on out. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, this is an all-inclusive principle. This is what this this one principle. I mean, you, you can. It's kind of like you know they came to Jesus and said, "What's the first and greatest commandment?" And he sums up the whole law <laughs> in two commandments. Makes it real simple. Now I'm told I've never counted them, but I'm told there's I think it's 613 commandments in the Old Testament, and Jesus sums them up in two and says, on these two, you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, there they are again. Live for the glory of God. Live for the well-being of other people. If you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said, on these two commands, hang all the law and the prophets. It's quite a statement, isn't it? <laughs> all of the law, all of the books of Moses, all of the prophets, all of, all of the Word, all of the ink spilled in, in these pages from Genesis to Malachi, Jesus is saying, have, have one goal to get us to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love one another as ourselves. That's the message Jesus was saying in His day, that's the message of the whole Scripture, what we call the Old Testament. You can sum it up with those two commandments. And really, you could narrow it down to that one, couldn't you? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
And it's the same way here. You can sum it all up with verse 31, as Paul does, the Holy Spirit does through the pen of Paul. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is, do all things to the glory of God. When you eat, eat for the glory of God. When you watch TV, and some might debate, I have heard some debate whether or not that's even possible. Can you watch TV to the glory of God? When you watch TV, watch TV to the glory of God. When you go to work, go to work and do your job for the glory of God. When you go on vacation to the beach, or, you know, if you don't boycott and you go to Disneyland, wherever it is, go for the glory of God. In other words, there's never one event, one thing that we can engage in. There's never one moment where we are not to glorify the Father. We are to glorify Him. We are to live a life of worship. Glorify Him in work, in leisure, in sleep. David said, the, the Lord gives His beloved sleep. <laughs> so, I mean, we can lay down at night and say, thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord, for opportunity to rest. And I have to remind myself of that sometimes. And I'm not, you know, just, you know how it is. You get things going sometimes. And sometimes when you lay down, it's, it's a short period. You know you've got to get up again. <laughs> And it's real easy to, to, to start to complain, you know. Oh, I wish I could sleep in or whatever. But we can say, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to rest. Please make it good. Make me rest good. The Lord gives His beloved sleep. You can sleep for the glory of God. You can do everything. Paul says, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all, do all things to the glory of God. That is, you've got that goal in view. And we know from the rest of these verses we've already looked at, um, it, it also, that includes living for the well-being of other people. So it's that twofold purpose. And, and he even expands, goes right back into that here. Verse 32, give no offense. In other words, how are we going to glorify God in everything that we do? Don't offend anybody else. Don't cause anybody to stumble. Don't put a stumbling block in front of them. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks. You see, he's talking about everybody. Everybody. Or to the church of God. So, Paul says, I don't want you causing the Jews to stumble. We want to see them saved. We want to see them come to Christ. Paul says, I don't want you to cause the Greeks to stumble. And that, that may be especially irrelevant here because they're living in a, in a Greek city in Corinth. And Paul's saying, I, I don't want you unnecessarily you know, at odds with the culture. Well, that's something we have to remember too because there's a lot of talk out there, and I do it too, about culture war. Culture war. Well, there's some truth to that. And like I say, I use that terminology all the time. But we have to be careful that we don't, get, we don't fall too much into an us versus them mentality. We're, we're here, we're here to point them to Christ, and we're not going to be effective in doing that if we're constantly offending them. 
Now, if, if, all, if, if, if we are straightforward and faithful in presenting the gospel and that offends them, then fine. There's, I mean, there's nothing we can do about that. And, that. and that will be the case oftentimes. But, if we're offending them because of our own selfishness, because we've got our own ideas about how things ought to be, that maybe is totally unrelated to the gospel, that's where we have to really be careful. Give no offense, Paul says. Not to the Jews, not to the Greeks, nor to the church of God. So he's saying, I want you to not offend the brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And he's already, again, dealt with that in back in chapter 8 when he was talking about those with a weaker conscience. He's assuming they're believers, but they're weaker in conscience. Or... Um, it's very similar in Romans 14, except there he's, he talks about uh, the, the strong in faith and the weak versus the weak in faith. And he wants them to be sensitive to each other. Well, I won't go there because we don't have the time, but I recommend reading it. Romans 14, because it's very similar, very similar uh, discourse. Um, just focused on a little bit different thing. I think they're uh, meat and wine instead of uh, instead of eating meat offered to idols. And also, in Romans 14, he includes <clears throat> the fact that some esteem some days uh, above others. So, he says, Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men... And that the, the word men is really supplied there by the translator. So he just, just, just as I also please all, in all. I please all in all, not seeking my own profit. So here's the secret. It's no big secret, what Paul is saying. But Paul saying, this is how I live. I, I please all. I seek to please all. He said back in chapter 9, I want to be all things to all People, so that by all means, some might be saved. So Paul says, I please all. I please all in all. I please all people in all things. How do you do that, Paul? Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many. That's what he's saying. I'm living for the well-being of others. Instead of seeking my own profit. Instead of seeing how everybody can cater to me. Instead of trying to get everybody to move my way and think my way, he says, I'm looking for them to profit. I want them to come to know Christ. I want them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. I want the lost to be saved. I want the saved to progress in sanctification. And so his life is given to their well-being or as the New King James says it here, prophet. So I please all men in all things, not seeking my own prophet, but the prophet of many, that they may be saved. That's what he's after. That's what he's after. And then he says, and I have to go into the next chapter to finish it up here. Verse 1. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That's what he's saying. This, this is what I do. I don't live for... Paul's saying, I don't live for self. The, the question is not, 
what, what can I do? What can I get away with and still be a Christian? The, the question is, how can I help? How can I edify? How can I further the well-being of my fellow man? How can I glorify God? And that's the bottom line in it all. If I do this, whatever it is, if I watch the football game, will God be glorified? If I go to the movie, will God be glorified? If I take my wife to dinner, will God be glorified? If I get up and go to work, will God be glorified? If I go to Walmart, if I eat an Oreo, whatever it is, will God be glorified? Now, spend some time thinking about that. Because on the surface, it can sound silly. But it's not silly. It's what Paul is saying. It's not silly. We, we, we are to be that consumed with the glory of God. And I think in doing so, you might say, well, that, that sounds like, that may, that may produce some bondage there. I, I think in actuality, it, it has the opposite effect. In doing so, we'll know the greatest liberty. In fact, if we really get to looking at this, we, you, you'll find God's glorified in a lot more things than you might realize. God gets glory. One reason, and I'm honest here, one, I'm not a big sports fan, but one reason I like to watch football is because, and, and it's, this is not just with sports, but, but sports is a good example, but one reason I like to watch football is because when, when you see the skill of those guys, and I know some of those guys may be oblivious to, to God, maybe don't believe in Him at all, but in their skill, He is glorified. He is glorified. Musicians, singers, great intellectuals, and, and some of them are ungodly. I saw another article. I didn't get time to go back and read it. I wanted to, but uh, I saw a reference to an article. Let me say it that way. I saw a reference to an article. Supposedly, it was a quote from Einstein. Pro- probably true. I, I, a quote from Einstein they had found in some of his writings where he said, God is for the weak-minded. You know, it was the same kind of Marxist-type thing that... God is a crutch, you know. Well, I hate it. I mean, I hate it, and, and it's sad. Sad, you know. I mean, I, I, I didn't. I already understood that he was not a Christian, but but it's sad that people think that way. But nevertheless, his intellectual ability, in one sense, glorified God. In one sense, it's a shame, you know. If he didn't use it for the glory of God, that's a shame. But nevertheless. God was glorified in it. So, Paul says, do all things. You're going to play football? Glorify God. You're going to watch football? Glorify God. You're going to think, you know, like Einstein? Glorify God. I heard a story. I'm, I'm about done here. But I heard a story about, uh, just brought, came to mind, um, about Einstein. He was on a train. I forgot where he was going. He was on a train going somewhere, and the, the conductor's coming down the aisle, you know, taking, checking people's tickets. And he sees him sitting there. He's frantically checking all of his pockets. You can tell he can't find his ticket, you know. And the conductor gets up to him, and Einstein told him, said, I, you know, I can't find my ticket. And the conductor said, Mr. Einstein, he, you know, he recognized him. He said, don't, don't worry about it. No problem. I, I know who you are. And I'm sure that 
Everything's on the up and up. And Einstein looked at him and said, yeah, but the problem is I don't remember where I'm supposed to get off. <laughs> so, uh, you know, having a lot going on up there is not always beneficial. I mean, <laughs> the main thing, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. That's our purpose. That's our reason for being, to glorify Him. And even though we didn't talk about the second part of that uh, really tonight, that the answer to the catechism, it is to glorify Him by enjoying Him forever. We're going to prepare to take the Lord's Supper. So, uh, men, if you all come and prepare. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.